Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, the Green New Deal stages the most spectacular implosion since the Fire Festival. A former flight attendant sues her former employer and union for firing her for opposing the union's support for the Women's March. And a far-left member of the House of Representatives finds herself in hot water for making conspiratorial anti-Israel comments. Last week, we discussed the Green New Deal, Democrats and environmentalists' wish list for saving the planet by banning automobiles, restricting air travel out of existence, and forcing everyone to become vegan because of farting cows. Well, since last Thursday, the proposal has imploded, almost as spectacularly as Fire Festival, the luxury music festival turned epic fraud scheme immortalized by the catchphrase, let's just do it and be legends, to which a number of critics compared the Green New Deal. First, Around the time we recorded last week's podcast, the Office of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez realized that they had committed an epic Kinsley gaffe, political dictionary speak for accidentally admitting you want to do that unpopular thing, by posting an FAQ document with a bunch of unpopular things, and bad copy editing, on their website. It went down the memory hole, except at NPR, to which AOC's staff had sent the document. Oops, number one. After being dragged on the internet for proposing such ludicrous things as upgrade or replace every building in U.S. for state-of-the-art energy efficiency and build out high-speed rail at scale where air travel stops becoming necessary, never mind the grammar, it was awful throughout, and perhaps most ludicrously providing economic security for people unwilling to work, AOC's team, with an assist from a Media Matters senior researcher, first suggested the FAQ was a right-wing forgery. But it wasn't. Oops, number two. So then Team Green New Deal tried to claim that the FAQ was just an early draft that hadn't been approved and got posted by accident, and they didn't really mean all that Kinsley gaff stuff. Instead, they said we should read the bill, really a non-binding resolution, that Ocasio-Cortez and a bunch of House Democrats had introduced in Congress. So we did. And guess what? The resolution, just like the FAQ, is a bat-guano left-wing letter to Santa. Retrofitting all existing building in the United States? That's in the resolution. It's HRES 109, Operative Section 2F. High-speed rail, conveniently proposed just as California's government, no hotbed of right-wingery, gave up on its $77 billion San Francisco to Los Angeles train megaboondoggle? Yep, that's in Operative Section 2HIII. Banning animal agriculture without explicitly saying so? Yep, see Operative Section 2G. Getting to zero emissions for power generation without nuclear energy? Yep, see Operative Section 2C. Massive labor union payoffs? Two sections for that, 3I and 3J. Protectionism beyond President Trump's wildest dreams? Yep, Section 3K. Economic security for those unwilling to work? Well, that's strongly implied in Operative Section 30IIII. Oops, number three. Meanwhile, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, realizing the resolution is crazy, offered to hold a vote on the resolution in the Senate. That, of course, outraged environmentalist Senator Ed Markey, a Democrat of Massachusetts, who sponsored the resolution in the Senate. He called the effort to hold a vote on the resolution that he sponsored an, quote, attempt to sabotage the movement, close quote, and, quote, Silence your voice, close quote. Oops, number four. 
A federal judge allowed a fired Southwest Airlines flight attendant's lawsuit against Transportation Workers Union Local 556 and her former employer for unlawful termination to proceed. Charlene Carter sued the union and the airline, alleging that she was fired after she sent a private complaint to union leadership when she became aware that the union was using dues revenue to support the 2017 Women's March, which Carter took as support for abortion contrary to her religious beliefs. Southwest Airlines later fired her, claiming she had violated harassment rules by how she complained to union leadership. Carter's case, supported by free legal aid from the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, is currently pending before the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas. Wait a minute. Isn't Texas a right-to-work state? Couldn't Carter have just quit the union and not paid union fees? Meet the Railway Labor Act, the labor law applying only to trains and planes, where there's no right to work and decertifying a union is stupidly confusing. Since Southwest Airlines is covered by the Railway Labor Act, Carter couldn't stop paying fees to the union, even though she lived in right-to-work Texas. She was allowed to resign membership, which she did in 2013, but Carter was still obligated to pay representational fees. Well, maybe Carter wasn't alone in not supporting the union's support for the, as it would turn out, very morally suspect, Women's March. Couldn't she have gotten her co-workers to decertify the union? Good luck with that. Railway Labor Act unions aren't organized workplace by workplace, but rather by craft or class nationwide. To oust the Transportation Workers Union, Carter would have needed to conduct a national signature gathering campaign among Southwest flight attendants. It gets even harder from there. Because of legal arcana and National Mediations Board procedures, she would have had to conduct a national signature gathering campaign for a straw man, a fake union, rather than for a no-union decertification. And then, if somehow she managed to get half the unionized employees to sign cards supporting the straw man fake union, there would be an election, in which Carter would then have to turn around and convince her colleagues not to vote for the straw man, but to vote for no union. Confused yet? The National Mediation Board is currently considering a regulation to streamline this process and make it more like the process for decertification used in private sector unions in the rest of the private economy, by eliminating the straw man procedure and allowing for straightforward decertification of a union, with a vote taken if a majority of the craft or class petition for one. However, the loophole in right-to-work laws, which allow Railway Labor Act unions to collect forced dues, even in right-to-work states, would require congressional action to fix. And if the Green New Deal was an embarrassment for Queens's far-left representative, a repeating pattern of anti-Semitic remarks are proving an embarrassment to the Twin Cities. Representative Ilan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, sparked controversy with a series of tweets claiming that, quote, the Benjamins, a reference to $100 bills, and APAC, the America-Israel Public Affairs Committee, an advocacy group promoting a strong alliance between Israel and the United States, were responsible for U.S. support of the Jewish state. Numerous critics declared the comments anti-Semitic, by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, an intergovernmental organization of 31 countries, including the United States, which memorializes the victims of the Holocaust, working definition of anti-Semitism, and examples of anti-Semitic conduct identified by the U.S. State Department, Omar's comments might qualify as, quote, making mendacious, dehumanizing, demonizing, or stereotypical allegations about Jews as such or the power of Jews as a collective, such as, especially but not exclusively, the myth about a world Jewish conspiracy or of Jews controlling the media economy government, or other societal institutions. For good measure, Omar's comments came in an apparent endorsement of the Intercept's Glenn Greenwald, who appeared to, again, quoting from the State Department examples of anti-Semitic conduct, accuse Jewish citizens of being more loyal to Israel or to the alleged priorities of Jews worldwide than to the interests of their own nations, by writing that 
U.S. political leaders spend a stunning amount of time defending a foreign nation, that nation being Israel. Omar has prior offenses. She previously tweeted in 2012 that Israel has hypnotized the world, again quoting from the State Department examples of anti-Semitic conduct, making mendacious, dehumanizing, demonizing, or stereotypical allegations about the power of Jews as collective, and endorsed the Boycott Divestment Sanctions Campaign to damage Israel's economy and world standing. For their part, Democratic House leadership condemned Omar's comments, and Omar issued a dubiously sincere apology. As for AIPAC, the organization itself makes no campaign contributions, with its employees making $27,000 in contributions split between both political parties in the last election. Indeed, all pro-Israel groups, as classified by the Center for Responsive Politics, and therefore including the left-wing Peacenik J Street group, spent less than one-fifth of what farm manufacturers group Pharma alone spent on lobbying. So if it's not for money, where does APAC and the pro-Israel position in general, find political strength? Strength such that just this week, erstwhile Arizona Senate election rivals Kirsten Sinema, a Democrat, and Republican Martha McSally, now an elected and appointed U.S. Senator respectively, appeared at an APAC-sponsored event in Phoenix. It's from mostly non-Jewish voters, who side roughly 60-20 in favor of the Israelis against the Palestinians, according to the Gallup poll. If anything, Non-Jews, who are more Republican, are more pro-Israeli government than their Jewish counterparts, who are overwhelmingly democratic. As tablet journalist Yair Rosenberg, himself a liberal, has written, AIPAC typically loses lobbying campaigns where it stakes out a position against the position of either a large majority of Americans or a strongly held position of the incumbent administration, pitfalls that have sunk any number of lobbying campaigns by any other interest groups. Cinema's presence at the APAC event amid the kerfuffle over Omar's comments is, however, illustrative of a growing rift on the left between the progressive wing and its more conventional liberal leadership, one that bears watching by supporters of Israel, left and right. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.